Well, our scripture this evening comes from Psalm 90. And so if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 90, that would be um, really wonderful. Psalm 90 follows, this won't surprise you, it follows right after Psalm 89, and it's right before Psalm 91. And uh, it's, it's very interesting because Psalm 89 is a, a psalm that's very sad. It's, a, it's talking about the loss of a king for, uh, for Israel, and it's sad all the way through. Psalm 91 is a psalm of praise all the way through. And Psalm 90 fits uh, right in the middle, and as such, it has a little bit of both praise and mourning. It's a very, very fascinating psalm, and I'm excited to look at it with you this evening. And so let's take a look at Psalm 90. I'm going to read all of Psalm 90 for us. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place. Throughout all generations, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight, are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger, for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Before we begin the sermon, please pray with me. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And as we come this morning, or this evening, to hear from you, we pray that you would speak that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say. You would help us to understand this passage better. And you would help us to worship you because of what we have heard this evening. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you. People of God, I remember the first time I ever seriously considered 
the words of Psalm 90. I was talking to my fourth grade teacher, who was a wonderful woman named Elaine Dimstra. And she, at the time I was talking to her, was nearing retirement. And she told me, you know, Derek, life goes by quickly. It's very fast. And I remember saying something like, what are you talking about? It's taken me forever to get to fourth grade. Couldn't really fathom what she was saying. And she told me, you know, Derek, the Bible talks about how a thousand years is like a day from God's perspective. It talks about how our life goes by quickly. And I had to agree that if the Bible said it, it must be true. But I remember as a fourth grader having a hard time believing that life was fast, that it went by quickly. Well, I'm a little bit older than I was in fourth grade. I'm still a young guy. But now that I'm a little bit older, I'm beginning to understand what Mrs. Dimstra was talking about. This life does go by very, very quickly. And that's what Psalm 90 talks about. Our life is very quick. But it's very meaningful because of the fact that we know our God. And so we're going to take a look at this psalm this evening. It's an amazing psalm. It's mysterious and majestic. It's a psalm of life, and yet it talks about death. It's a psalm that's very somber, and yet it's an incredible cry of praise. And as we take a look at it, that's what we are going to be talking about. We're going to be focusing on those differences those seeming contradictions in this psalm that exist. Psalm of life that talks about death. How does that work? We're going to be talking about it in three ways. Our first point this evening is going to be that God is distanced from us. You know, he's distinct. He's far away from us. Our second is going to be that God is close to us. And the third is going to be that life is worthwhile. Because that's what this psalm has to tell us. Life is short, but it's incredibly worthwhile because of who our God is. So let's turn to our first point, that God is distanced from us. Now this is a psalm of Moses, and Moses talks about how God is different from us, how he's distanced from us in two ways. The first way is that God is eternal, and we are temporal. We exist for a specific amount of time. The second is that God is holy and we are sinful. And so we're going to take a look at both of those. First, God is eternal and we are temporal. It starts at the very beginning. It says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You turn men back into dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. At the very beginning, it's interesting imagery because the psalm talks about the mountains as though they were born. It's birth imagery. It's as if to say, you see those glorious mountains that you see? In Illinois, we don't get much of a chance to see mountains. But if you've seen pictures of mountains, they're majestic. They're huge. And yet the psalm is saying, those mountains are nothing but babies. They were born. Or you see this earth? Stretching out in every direction, it's as if it were a child. Because God is everlasting. He is great. He's majestic. This earth is small. It's a striking picture because if the mountains are but babies in God's sight, then I, even though I'm a tall man, I'm really nothing but dust compared to those mountains. 
And then we're told that he's everlasting. That a thousand years in his sight are like a day that has just gone by. Have you ever seen time-lapse photography? Sometimes if you see Discovery Channel programs, they'll show a flower that blossoms and then flowers and then dies. And all told, it would be a long process if you were to watch it naturally, but time-lapse photography speeds it up so you can see the sprout coming up. You can see the flower budding, and then you can see it wilt and die. If a thousand years are like a day that's just gone by or an evening in the night, then what we see is that God's perspective is that of almost like time-lapse photography. He can see us spring up in the morning. In the morning, they're like the new grass. By evening, it's dry and withered. He can see us grow and die very quickly. For a thousand years, or like a day, or like a watch in the night. And this is because God is everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. And yet we are temporal. You know, there have been people in society that have understood this. Oftentimes, artists or playwrights have sort of had their thumb on this. There's a playwright named Samuel Beckett. He's most famous for a poem called, or a play called Waiting for Godot. But a play that's been performed more often is one called Breath. And it's really a striking play. It's been performed over a thousand times. And what happens is the audience comes into a theater large theater, and the curtain is down. And once everybody's inside, the play begins, and it begins with the cry of a baby. And then the curtain comes up to reveal a pile of rubbish that's on the stage. At that point, there's one long, pained inhalation, like this. And one pained exhalation. And then the lights go down. All told, it's about a 33-second play. I hope people don't pay too much for it. But the point of the play is pretty obvious. It says that life is short. It's a pained inhalation, a pained exhalation. It's nothing but rubbish, and then it's done. It's a striking way to illustrate some of what Psalm 90 seems to be talking about. Or Shakespeare. Shakespeare says that life is but a fleeting shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. You see, what these artists are getting at is the fact that life is temporary. It goes by in an instant. You blink and it's done. It's a pained inhalation a pained exhalation, full of sound and fury, and then it's over. And this is how the psalm begins. Our lives spring up in the morning like the grass, but in the evening, they perish. However, it, it actually gets worse. Not only that, not only is God eternal and we incredibly brief and temporal, but God is holy. And we are sinful This is what verses 7 through 11 say. They say, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. 
All of our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. But their trouble, but their span is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Do you see what Moses is saying here? He's saying not only is our life incredibly short, but we live it before the face of a holy God, one who knows our secret sins. They've been exposed in the light of his presence. And so we're terrified by his anger. We're consumed by his indignation. And then he talks again about the span of our days, saying it's 70 days or maybe 80 if we have the strength. This again talks about the effects of the sins for Moses, for our, of our sins. For Moses, no doubt knew of the lifespan of those who had come before him. Noah had lived 950 years. Abraham had lived over 200, nearly 200. And yet now the span of our days is about 70 or 80. Effects of the sin shrinking the lifespan of the people that Moses is talking about. This is a pretty desperate picture. A picture of a life that's over in an instant, that's one pained inhalation, one pained exhalation, and then it's done. But more than that, it's a life of sinful people lived before a holy God. And because of that, we're terrified of His wrath, of His indignation, This is the point of the psalm that would leave us in despair if that's all that was in the psalm. However, in verse 13, something striking, something different happens. You see, because Moses starts giving God commands. You see, this is where we come to our our second point, that God is near to us. In 13 and 14 and 15, Moses gives three commands. He says, relent. He says, satisfy us. And he says, make us glad. Now, this is very, very curious, isn't it? Who is Moses to command God to do something? He's just talked about how God is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. He's talked about how God is holy and how we are sinful, and yet Moses has the audacity to start giving God commands. Relent, Lord. Satisfy us. Make us glad. How is it that Moses can do this? Well, The answer comes in verse 14. He says, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. Unfailing love, what's translated unfailing love, is a truly wonderful word in Hebrew. It's a word that's, uh, that is said chesed. It's a Hebrew word. And unfailing love is the way that it's translated here. But it has perhaps a more technical meaning. And what that technical meaning is, is covenantal faithfulness. What Moses is saying is satisfy us with the fact that you are faithful to your covenants. Because Moses knew of the covenants 
that God has made with his people, right? With Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Each time God had made a covenant, he came close and he promised to be the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, and to be the God of all their descendants. He had come near. He had promised. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's a promise that Israel lived with always. And Moses knew of that. He knew that he was part of the people of God. And this knowledge, the knowledge of the fact that God had made a covenant with his people, is what gave him this security, this assurance. And the fact is that God had proven this covenant over and over again. He had brought his people out of Egypt. He was feeding them in the desert. And so Moses knew that God was faithful, and that gave him the confidence to approach him. The confidence to say, satisfy us with the fact that you have come close to us. That you have promised to be our God. That you've promised not to leave us. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing, amazing thing to say. Have we ever made that our prayer? Lord, satisfy us. Satisfy us with the truth that you've come near to us. That you've promised never to leave us. Because the fact is that we have it even better than Moses. We have it better than Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. Because we have Jesus. We have the one of whom it was said the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came close. He lived with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Christ lived and died for us and he rose again. And when he ascended into heaven, he promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. He said, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And that's how we can have confidence to be as bold before our God as Moses was. That's how we, even though we know of God's eternality and how finite we are, even though we know of God's holiness and our sin, we can approach Him and say, Relent, O Lord. Satisfy us. Satisfy us with Your unfailing love. Make us glad, God. That's a beautiful truth. A beautiful truth that we can come to the Creator of the universe, the great and true God, with this kind of boldness. Because we're his children. And so I want to say that maybe you're here this evening and, and you, feel, you feel the weight of what Psalm 90 is saying. You recognize the greatness of God. You recognize his holiness. So maybe you wonder, how can I even approach a God such as this? He's too great, too holy. Well, what the beautiful words here say to us 
that we can remember his covenantal faithfulness and we can approach him with confidence and boldness. None of us are too small. All of us can come to God and he will listen. I promise. Because he's promised and he's proven it with his son. Well, after that, there's another amazing change. Because Moses says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And this is also quite amazing. This is our third point. Life is meaningful. It's amazing because he spends a great deal of time in this psalm talking about how short our lives are how they go by in an instant. And yet, in verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I mean, if, if life really is as quick as Moses is describing, why do we need to number our days aright? Aren't they over in an instant anyway? Why does he tell us, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom? I think this is the reason. Let me illustrate it for you in this way. When I was a kid, my brothers and sisters and I used to go swimming in a neighbor's pool. About three doors down, we would walk over and we'd go swimming for a while. And my mom, near the end of the time we would need to go, she would say, all right, kids, let's, let's go. It's time to go. And I remember asking every time, I remember saying, oh, mom, can I just have five more minutes and she said she always knew I was going to ask for five minutes, so she would tell me to go five minutes before we actually needed to go. And she would say, yeah, that's fine, Derek, five more minutes. And I have to say, with those last five minutes, I swam with more gusto, with more vigor. I wanted to use up every second of each one of those five minutes when I was in that pool, because I knew my time was short. I knew that soon I was going to have to go home. What Moses is doing here is giving us this five-minute warning. He's saying, life is short. Live it well. Live it with gusto. Live for the Lord. Because it's over in an instant. And so, Lord, knowing how quickly our time goes, teach us to number our days aright. Teach us to recognize how short they are so that we can live each moment of each day to the fullest, so that we can live truly for the Lord. This psalm is our five-minute warning. Live well. And the last thing that Moses said is, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is also an amazing request. Because Moses was the leader of Israel. And it's quite probable that he wrote this while Israel was wandering in the desert. And so, as I read this, I wonder, what kind of meaningful work could possibly have been established by people who would wake up in the morning, follow around a pillar of cloud, camp in the evening, 
wake up in the morning, collect more manna, follow a pillar of cloud, go to sleep, wake up, sometimes fight, but most of the time just wander through the desert until a significant number of people died and they could enter the promised land. How in the world could that sort of work be established? It seems so pointless. It seems empty and it seems meaningless. Wandering in the desert? And yet we know that God answered this prayer, that he did establish the work of his people because in Deuteronomy 2.7, Moses claimed that the Lord blessed the work of their hands as they were in the wilderness. That he watched over them. That's an amazing truth. And that's something that really comforts me. Because so often I look at my life, you know, I'm 26 and I've been in school my whole life. I wonder what possibly could God have done through me. And Psalm 90 brings incredible comfort. Because God is the one who establishes the work of our hands. We are not the ones who establish it. And God chose to take the wanderings of a desert people for 40 years and somehow make them worthwhile. I mean, what happened, all that possibly could have happened is that they taught their children. That they passed on the truth of who God was to the next generation. And God established that work and he preserved his people and he brought them into the promised land. And there were trials, there were great trials, But eventually, from that people that he preserved in the wilderness, he brought his son. The one who saves all of those who would come to him. And he did it by establishing the work of a desert people. And he still today establishes the work of our hands. And so regardless of how quickly you feel your life has gone, perhaps you feel as though your life has been insignificant, God is establishing your work. He's making it last. And He's making it worthwhile. And so, in conclusion, I would encourage you to heed the words of Psalm 90. Realize that life is short, but recognize that it's meaningful, that it's worthwhile because we know the Lord and because He's establishing our work. And I would encourage you to make Psalm 90 your prayer. To pray, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To pray, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. To pray, establish the work of our hands for us, Lord. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Because that is what God has done. And that is what he will continue to do. People of God, life is short. But because of our great Savior, it's worthwhile. Let's live for him. Amen.